more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. You're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Adrian Gallo. And I'm Brian Lynn. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and tonight we are lucky to be joined by Jaskaran Sene. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we gave a little preview to our FM guests about what kind of work you do, and you work with some really unique metals. Uh, first, tell us a little bit about the uh, unique nature of the metals you work with, and then let us know why they could be replacing so much of the metals that are currently being used. Sure. Um, I work with something called as metallic glasses. These are amorphous materials, so they don't really have a crystal structure that you see in other materials around us. Um, and this imparts a lot of great properties to these materials. So they have two to three times uh, the strength of steel. They are uh, really corrosion and wear resistant. Uh, they're scratch proof. Um, they have really high elasticity and hardness. They're, some of them are really tough. And uh, these materials, because of these properties, can replace literally every material or every metal that's out there. Can you give us an example of a faraway little robot that could be using your metals and why your metals could be really helping this little robot? Sure. Um, I'm pretty sure you're talking about Curiosity and the next rovers that are going to uh, like come up. So um, NASA is trying to use the, these materials as gears inside um, the rovers, preferably Mars rovers and some other rovers. So um, these materials can operate without lubrication, even at cryogenic temperatures. So currently, uh, Curiosity spends around 30% of its energy and three hours just to, heating, uh, to, to heat up and lubricate the system, just so that it can move like a very small distance. Um, if we use metallic glasses, we can like remove all of the heating um, setup and, and every other system that's related to it. And uh, they can save like a lot of cost and you can have some other um, system on board that can help you with more exploration. I mean, from a, a precision engineering perspective, you know, these rovers are just built to the T. So to yep. think that a third of its energy goes yep. to just heating this lubrication and warming up the gears so it can move. Mm -hmm. And these materials could, you know, that's one of the uses. Obviously, yep. we don't all have rovers in our backyard, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
but that's pretty amazing in terms of uh, what kind of additional properties these metals have. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that they're uh, amorphous. Can you can you dig into that? And what does that really mean? Um, so every material has like a crystal structure inside. So atoms combine together to form a crystal structure. And that's what makes up like all the materials that we see around us. Um, these materials don't really have that crystal structure. So the atoms are randomly arranged inside and uh, they don't really form like uh, something called as a FCC or a BCC, which is face cubic centered and body sub- cubic centered um, or simple cubic. Like th- these are some of the unit cells. So uh, these materials don't really have that. And so they are just a cluster of atoms packed together in like random order. And that's what uh, is meant by amorphous. You know, I, I like to think of uh, metals and, you know, for you geology nerds out there like me, uh, you know, your, your your rocks and your minerals, they have a repeating crystal structure, kind of like Lego pieces. You know, mm-hmm. they have exactly. a they have a known size that's repeated. You can stack them together and, you know, they're, they're very well known. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you stick many of them together, they have, you know, some some cool properties. You can make little little bridges and stuff. Yeah. But these do not have that like consistent repeating structure. That's what is amorphous about yep. them. And that amorphousness, is that a word? Uh, not really. <laughs> well, you know what? We're all PhD students, so we can make up words yeah, if we want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, the fact that it is amorphous is what gives it these really unique uh, qualities. But getting it to become amorphous mm-hmm. is not easy. Uh, not at all. Yeah, tell us about that. Okay, so um, this was actually proposed by um, Harvard physicist David Turnbull back in 1950s. He said, like, if you cool any metal or material fast enough, you can form a glass. And it took, like, quite a bit of time. So my academic great-grandfather was the first one who, like, produced metallic glasses at Caltech back in the 1960s. He took like an alloy of gold and silicon and he quenched it really fast. Um, And the cooling rates were about a million Kelvin per second. That's how fast he had to quench to get a metallic glass out of it. But it was a really thin foil. The thickness of it was less than the thickness of our hair, a strand of hair. So it was that thin. But over time, um, we've come up with new compositions that can be cooled much slower and it can still form a glass. So the basic requirement to get a glass is to cool it very, very rapidly. And that's like that cooling rate could vary between a thousand to a million kelvins per second. Whew. Okay, I, I want to I wanna back up because uh, when we say glass, that's we're kind of synonymously subbing in uh, amorphous with glass because glass, when you think of glass, that's also an amorphous material. Yes. Uh, there's no repeating crystal lattice in glass. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, fun fact for the day, all, all you folks. Um, now... How many Kelvin per second do you need to cool this material in order for it to become amorphous? A million Kelvin per second. Uh, okay, I'm 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 gonna go back to our our blog here, uh, Brian. Do you remember how fast that is in Celsius or, or Fahrenheit off the top of your head? Oh, I certainly don't. I'm a dirty American that can't do conversions. <laughs> I, don't, I, I actually I had I had to Google it. Okay, well, we're gonna find that and come back to it. Um, okay, so what happens if you can't? cool this material down fast enough. Can you still get the amorphous structure? Um, We won't end up with an amorphous structure, but we will form like a crystal inside. So it will crystallize. And so we will get like an alloy with the normal crystal structure that you see around us. Um, The only way to get amorphous structure is if you cool it fast enough. Um, So that's the difference. 
And also, I just like to mention that there's a difference between amorphous materials and a glass. So mm. glass is a subset of amorphous materials. There are a lot of amorphous materials out there, but glass is one of them. The thing that makes the two different uh, uh, is the glass has something called as a glass transition. So that's the difference between um, glass and amorphous uh, materials. Whew. Okay, yeah. So it, it, it's good to be pre precise here. Yeah. Um, Let's go back to the metallic glass history. You mentioned mm -hmm. that it was your uh, academic great-grandfather at Caltech that had uh, first kind of uh, discovered, made this, and about the thickness of a human hair. So it was, you know, cool toy, but, uh, to, you know, can't make it too much bigger. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the properties of this glass, the elemental properties that made it difficult to scale up, which is probably why it hasn't really been scaled up? So, yeah, uh, good thing that you asked that because initially this was like a lab curiosity. It was like a curiosity like where my great uh, academic great-grandfather wanted to see <clears throat> excuse me, what happens if you cool something fast enough. Like, does the theory still stand? So that is why he took like a very simple system of two metals, uh, two metallic elements, gold and silicon. Uh, but over time, uh, we've found that if you add more and more materials that have a different atomic radii, it, it sort of confuses these atoms to combine together. So that is what, like, by the time you cool it, like, to room temperature, the atoms don't have time to combine and form a structure. So that's why they stay in that amorphous form. And so um, over time, like, in my case, like, I add three or more elements, uh, metallic elements, into my alloy to form a metallic glass. So that's sort of like a basic requirement, but people have achieved um, single atom uh, metallic glass, but that is just like uh, at the nanometer level. So that that really doesn't have any like applications as of now. Um, but yeah, my metallic glasses do. So, so, so if given enough time, could these confused atoms like find each other and bond and like stop being metallic glass? Or is like once they're confused, are they always confused? <laughs> Um, if you cool it fast enough, they're always confused. Always confused. Yeah. I love it. If you, yeah. If you, if you cool it's it slow, yeah. To grad they, school. Yeah. <laughs> they do have time to combine together. So yeah, it's just about time. I, I, I'd say. Yeah. If I wasn't on air, I'd be laughing a lot louder. <laughs> um, okay. The metallic glasses you make are copper and hafnium based. We're going to get to that, but... Mm -hmm. Can you remind us, what were the elements that they used initially when this was a lab curiosity? Um, so it began with, as I said, uh, gold and silicon. But then over time, they started using zirconium, uh, beryllium, uh, because beryllium is a really small atom. So it, it helps with glass formation because it confuses the atoms more by like getting into interstitial spaces. Um, uh, and then there was like nickel, uh, palladium, and all these expensive metals that are out there. So uh, it was it's, it was really expensive to actually produce these metallic glasses. So that is something uh, that held these back, like in terms of applications. Uh, but like in my case, as part of my PhD, I'm trying to look for metallic glass compositions uh, that can be produced without rare earth and precious metals, so that like I can increase that um, application area. The um, the fact that they the original elements being used were expensive, maybe expanding on that mining mining these rare earth metals mm -hmm. is ecologically very oof yeah i'll just leave it there i, I don't want to characterize it but yeah. to get these you know mm -hmm. th these metals and precious metals it it takes a lot so yeah. uh, your work is not only you know trying to scale this up but to 
do so in a way that is uh, cheaper, obviously. Yeah. But the uh, the uh, the other effect is, you know, you don't have to mine uh, uh, palladium and uh, you know some of these other really precious metals nearly mm-hmm. as much. Okay. Tell us more about your metals that you use, copper and hafnium-based uh, metallic glasses. Sure. Um, so I, I, I work on co- mainly on copper and hafnium-based. So the reason why we call them as copper and hafnium-based is because copper and hafnium are in majority in these two different metallic glasses. But other than that, I use um, zirconium, aluminum, and um, nickel. Uh, and zirco- uh, and hafnium is again like in copper based i still use hafnium in hafnium based i still use copper um but other than that i have aluminum nickel and zirconium in my compositions and you know you're really burying the lead here because you found you not found you created mm-hmm. something two things that are pretty cool yep. tell us about that all right so um copper based metallic glasses um these have like a complete like application area where they can be used, but specifically hafnium based, like these are used by the military uh, for armor um, piercing uh, kinetic energy penetrators. So these have really high density, so they're used there. And then copper based metallic glasses again can be used uh, in rovers. And and, uh, recently, like people have been coming up with um, applications related to wastewater treatment and stuff so it's again like a new area that people like people have started exploring um how to like azo dye degradation and stuff dye degradation basically so that's again wastewater treatment so so my metallic glasses really have like they have the properties like strength and ductility and stuff like that but they also have um toughness they like metallic glasses are brittle like glasses are brittle when we like drop like a, a glass oxide glass it just shatters right uh, in my case, the metallic glasses that I've created do have some ductility. This work hasn't been published yet, but I can say, say that uh, it, they have ductility, so that would impart them or give them higher toughness. And toughness is what we look for when we're looking for structural ap- applications. So my metallic glasses kind of have like the best of all worlds, uh, so to speak. And they are the best in the world. Yep, exactly. You want to tell us about your two world records? Sure. Um, so, uh, so I created these two world records. Uh, one was back in 2020, and the other one was in 2021. So, um, the first one was copper-based metallic glass, where I pushed the the record for the biggest critical casting thickness from 25 mm to 28.5 mm, which may not sound like too big if you look at it. It's like slightly bigger than an inch, but like to have a fully glassy sample. Um, is like a big deal if, if you're from the metallic glass world. The other one was hafnium based metallic glass where I almost doubled the record from 10 mm to 18 mm. So that was a pretty big deal for like my advisor and me. Yeah, so that's uh, 10 to 18 millimeters for the, your second world record. Yep. And then the first one was uh, 25 to 28 millimeters? 28.5. 28.5. Yep. And we have we have photos on our blog. Again, that's uh, blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. If you type in uh, Jaskaran or uh, Metallic Glass, it'll pop up. And they look, I mean, everyone should go look at the blog, but they look incredibly shiny. They're yep. about, they, some look like the size of a quarter almost, but... Mm-hmm. Why are they so darn shiny? Uh, it all depends on the structure. So um, these metallic glasses have these uh, group of atoms and they're pretty uniform on the surface. In case of uh, crystalline metals, because there are like a lot of grains and stuff, 
So for that reason, they are all oriented in different directions. So when the light falls on it, they, it just gets reflected in all different directions. Case of metallic glasses, because they are so uniform, um, the light that falls on it like reflects, and that's how they come out. Like the pictures that you see on the blog, that's how it comes out when I melt them inside the arc melter. So there's no post processing to it. It's just what I get out of the arc melter when I melt the raw materials. It looks so pretty. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I, I, I now I have to ask. You know, mm -hmm. we talked about initially the history of these metals, how it was very difficult to cool them very quickly. Um, but you've obviously been able to do it, uh, mm -hmm. and, and most of your work is already published. Yep. Uh, so do you want to take us into like your arc reactor and like what does it actually look like when you make these metals? You know, because uh, you work with very pure substances already. So take us through that little process of, you know, weighing out. Uh, uh, to actually, you know, opening up the vessel to see if it worked or not. Sure. Um, so uh, it's it's not like a trial and error where I melt and then like when I open up, I see if it's um, like a glass or not. So there's actually a window that I can see through and that's how I like control the melting and, and point the tungsten tip to where I, I have to melt. Uh, but talking about like the purity of the materials, one of the reasons why I use really pure materials is because any impurity can trigger crystallization. So that's the reason I have to use pure materials. So something that I do in my lab is I like weigh the pure materials. I put them inside an arc melter and then close the arc melter. Uh, these have to be melted in uh, an inert environment. So I put in argon and then I use a plasma arc to melt this. Um, the plasma arc goes up to like 3,500 degrees Celsius. Ooh. So it can just melt anything um, that's in there. So once I melt them, uh, there is a copper platform that's being water cooled. So these metallic glasses, once I melt them on that copper platform, um, they can like dissipate the heat really fast. And that's how um, they, they, they turn out shiny right inside the arc melter itself. So I can like get a confirmation whether it's glass or not. And this is a far cry from the, you know, the aluminum foil thickness of a human hair that your great, great, great grand advisor had made yeah, yeah. <laughs> um can you take us into the room of of how you felt when you were successful in in, in your first in in the in your first world record it, it was crazy because i had never done something like this before um so to produce that and that too like by the end of my first year was a big achievement uh my my advisor had like a big role in this because he he had like uh, an idea of which elements to add together and he had done some preliminary work with an undergrad. But um, when I came in, like he had just gotten this big arc melter. So that's when we started developing these. So uh, there were like lots of hits and misses, uh, but eventually we were able to zero in on that composition that formed the final uh, world record um, sample um, in the lab. So it was a big day for us. <laughs> And so you set a world record in 2020. You set one in 2021. Yep. What world record are you setting this year? <laughs> um, I, I I don't. I'm I'm working on like uh, like determining the properties of these materials now. But it's the next PhD student who my advisor is working with currently, and like they're trying to look into different um, like titanium based, nickel based, and other comp other uh, alloy systems, and they're trying to like make an alloy that. Um, that can form a metallic glass and, and become a new record in those systems. So, yeah. So turning back the clock a little bit, you mentioned that your advisor uh, initially with some undergrads had started doing some of this work. And, you know, I, I wonder, 
how did you become uh, interested in pursuing this field? Because this is a pretty niche field, you know? Although yeah. I think, you know, everyone's like, I want a world record. Uh, just not that many people think I'm going to get a world record in making metallic glasses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, this this started back when I when I was an undergrad back in India. So um, I was I was doing research even there, um, where I was trying to actually form like an amorphous surf amorphous layer on the surface of stainless steel. Um, there were like we achieved something really good, but we did not exactly achieve that amorphous layer. So I was always I don't know for some reason intrigued with amorphous materials and glasses with metals. So uh, that is. So uh, this, you'll find this interesting, but whatever I wrote in my SOP is the exact same thing that I'm doing right now, which is really rare for graduate students. Like the SOP, like whatever you submit as your SOP isn't the, exactly the same like that you do as part of your PhD, right? And this is funny because uh, when I hear SOP, I think of standard operating procedure. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, statement of purpose. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, interesting. Uh, is, is that common in the in, in the college of engineering i yes 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 oh okay yeah i, I think um in in my field we would probably call that like uh our our what would we call that research objectives research objective you know of like uh for for all you master's students that are thinking of doing a phd or for all you phd students that are early on you know i'm gonna research this thing i'm gonna look at these and uh these data and it's probably gonna tell me this answer and you're probably wrong. <laughs> uh, but in about all case, of it. Yeah, I'm, about all but of it. More of it than you think you're wrong. I, I'm finding out I'm totally wrong on all of it. Uh, uh, but, you, but you're the rare case, uh, mm -hmm. Jasker, and that it was indeed what yep. you had actually written up. Yep. So that's, that's really exciting. That is very rare. Yep. Um, so turning the clock forward then, uh, what do you envision in five or ten years that these uh, metallic glasses can potentially be used for? Like, what what does what does that future look like to you? Um, there's a lot of potential. So, finding bigger metallic glasses definitely increases the scope of these materials being used in a lot of different applications. But it's it also depends on like how you're marketing those materials, right? Whether you're able to show like a potential application area. So that is something that I would like to pursue as part of my postdoc. Um, so I'm currently applying for a lot of postdoc positions and also jobs. Um, but I, I really want to pursue a postdoc because I'm interested in research and I want to explore like areas where I can use these metallic glasses because ultimately like lab curiosity is one thing and finding an application for the materials you develop is like another. So I want to focus on the application side of things now uh, more than development because I kind of Got, I have a hold on that now. So, yeah. So I mean, Your proof of concept was uh, two proof of concepts exactly. that are in the, <laughs> the world record books. Yeah. Um, so then, are, out of curiosity, are you interested in uh, moving in towards the realm of industry rather than academia, right? If you want to, like, scale this up for, you know, uh, you know ma not necessarily mass markets, but a larger market application, is, is industry something that you're also interested in? Um, I am applying for a lot of um, jobs. Um, mostly metallurgy related. Um, Apple is one company that's uh, trying to use these metallic glasses and uh, in iPhones because these are scratch proof. So they're trying to um, use it for the back covers of iPhones. So uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, but I'm still applying for a lot of jobs. Uh, one thing that um, I'd like to mention is when I'm talking about jobs, um, all of these metallurgy related and material science related jobs have a condition which is like you need a permanent US, a U.S. citizenship or a permanent residentship. So I'm 
I'm not able to like apply to all of the jobs that are out there. I have like a limited number. And um, so I'm also looking for postdocs. Um, only time will tell like whether I go to industry or like postdocs. And it also depends on the opportunities that, that are out there. Um, so it's it's too early to call. But yeah, uh, I hope to like make some more progress in this area in the future. Well, I think your future looks very bright. Anybody who sees your application should definitely take a second look at it. I mean, two world records? What else does it take? <laughs> what else does it take? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we are coming to the end of our show. And, you know, maybe uh, if the show continues on for another 10 years, we'll be playing the show on, on our iPhones. And, you know, th the back will be some amorphous glass material that you helped to, to create. <laughs> um, but with the end of our show, we have two traditions. Brian? Yeah. So our first tradition is always to ask uh, what advice you have that you want to give either your past self, new PhD students coming in, um, just general advice to the world. What kind of advice would you like to offer our listeners today? Sure. Um, I think I'll, I'll, I have three advices that I'd like to give. Um, one is like work hard. Like there's no uh, second thing to working hard, right? Um, keep pushing yourself, keep at it. Um, the second is like stay patient and like believe in yourself. Um, it, it's coming from a person who has like a patience of a two-year-old, <laughs> but 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 it's it's like managing that that anxiety and and staying calm and and having people who support you and like help with like staying calm and staying focused. So that's really important. Um, believe in yourself, and then um, the third is like ask questions. Um, I see a lot of students like hesitating. Like I'm a TA, and I see a lot of students hesitating to ask questions. Uh, I don't know like the reason why like ask questions ask as many as you want uh, because you want to have a clear understanding of what you're working on right and and for that you have to ask questions you sh it shouldn't matter like what the other person thinks if you have to get like clarification on something ask like the same question 100 times uh, because in the bigger scheme of things it's important that you know more than what the other person thinks and and most people uh, like I ask my advisor like things that are like, I, I wouldn't say dumb or stupid, but I ask the same thing multiple times sometimes. Uh, and, and he answers every time. So, so he, he like doesn't uh, look at me and like says like, why don't you know that you're a PhD student? Because that's something that you can do in your PhD, right? You can afford to ask questions and, and, and you're becoming an expert. You're not an expert right now. So that is something um, that I'd like to share with like all the listeners today. You know, it's funny, I, uh, I just taught a, a one-day field course for some forestry students, and it was a very small group. And I, I, I do this kind of stuff a lot in large groups, but in large groups, students are a little bit more scared to ask questions. But mm -hmm. in this small group, so many questions were asked and oh, from all kinds of, you know, left field and right field kind of questions. And um, it, it, the impression I got is that the students get a lot more from the class in our short period of time that we have when they're, you know, able and willing to ask more questions, even if they seem kind of off the wall, because it mm -hmm. leads us down some interesting conversations. And I'm sure you've experienced something yep. similar. Yep. Yep. You're right. Our last tradition is we ask you for a song. So what song did you choose and why? All right. So the song is The Greatest by Sia. Um, I kind of relate to this song because it helps me when I'm feeling low or when I have setbacks because the lyrics are like so good. Um, so that's the reason why I, why I chose this track today so that like everyone else can listen and uh, it, it just helps me get back up um, every time I face a setback. So, yeah. 
And I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, we, we, we mentioned this before we jumped on, on the podcast, but you also do, uh, some, some hip hop music productions. Do yep. you want to give us a, a, a little snippet about some of the, the music that you produce? Yeah, sure. Um, I do like, um, a lot of remixing. So I remix tracks and I also uh, make some beats and stuff. So I have some of my music on SoundCloud. Um, you can follow me. Um, my my uh, title is JSKRN. My artist name is JSKRN um, without the A's, like we said uh, before. Um, so you can follow me there. And um, I also have some more music that's going to come out very soon. So yeah, stay tuned for that. So we will play The Greatest by Sia, and then we'll follow up with uh, Sephora by Jazz Koran that, uh, that you helped to produce. Yep. So with that, thank you so much for coming on air. I'm really excited to see where, uh, where your career takes you and where in our near future we're going to have some kind of amorphous glass just in our everyday lives. That sounds really cool. Yep, sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Haman. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration.
Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends.